Seven Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Max. Suns basketball is back, so I'm excited to jump back on. We took another little mini break, and we've come back with a special guest for this one. Yeah, it's back in some form. It's back in stream and opposing arenas, Jumbotron form. <laughs> uh, but yes, we have a guest today. He is one of the hosts of The Timeline. He is also a newly minted writer at Bright Side of the Sun. His name is Sam Cooper. Sam, how you doing? Good, Max. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, I've dreamed about coming on your guys' podcast, and I'm just really happy to be here. So thank you. Thank you for the introduction. You dreamed about it. How do, the, how do those dreams go? How do those dreams go exactly? They were magnificent. I have dreamed of doing a seven <laughs> seconds or less segment. I have dreamed of being here live in the process of a Did You Know recording. Uh, so this should be really fun. Yeah, did you know it's less fun when we don't know the answers, so you better hope you know the answers. That's true. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about our impressions from the first two Phoenix Suns preseason games, uh, dive into some of the uh, players, what we think about them. Then we're going to go into individual award predictions, both some fake Suns awards we came up with and also uh, the real league-wide individual awards. But before we do that, David, uh, how about a little recap? Yeah, uh, general NBA news has probably overshadowed preseason with the China situation, Max, but we are not going to go into that on this podcast. So, in You don't have a take on uh, Hong Kong and China separation? <laughs> uh, not one that I want to put on this podcast, Max. Uh, so I'll stick to Phoenix. Since the last episode, we've obviously had media day, training camp, and open practice. Uh, and then two preseason games, which I'm sure will come up as we dive into the episode here, but hopefully not overreacting too much. But basketball is back, as I said, 111 to 106 victory over Minnesota to start, where DeAndre Ayton had 18, 13, 2, and 2 in just 21 minutes. Booker had 15, Frank had 14, and your boy Ty Jerome had 11 max. And Mm. then the loss to Sacramento, 88 to 105. Booker had 18, 7, 3, and 3 in 23 minutes. Carter had 16 points, Aiton had 10, and Sharich had nine. But Max, there's lots to talk about from those games and maybe some interviews from Media Day and things like that uh, with Sam here. So I think we should just jump straight into the meat of this podcast. Let's do it. Yeah, so I think we're the way we're going to handle going through preseason and Media Day if you two want to. I, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but if you guys want to throw that in, that's cool. Uh, we're going to go through the positions, uh, guards, wings, bigs, go through all the important players, our impressions, if anything's changed, yada, yada. Yep. Uh, let's start with the best player on the team. Uh, his name is Devin Booker. Sam, what have you seen from Devin Booker? Is there anything that you uh, think is interesting, anything different from last season, anything that makes you think he's 
or better or worse? Anything that we can learn from these first two pieces? Uh, you're just going to hear a lot of hesitation from me, I think, over the next however long we record this <laughs> podcast and making any any major judgments on a player based on uh, two preseason games. I think Devin has basically looked the same uh, throughout these first two games for, for Phoenix. And I think really the most interesting question that you can come up with after watching these two games is... Uh, not so much Devin in a vacuum, but more so his relationship with Ricky Rubio and your ability mm. to stagger those two guys in lineups. Like, you know, I've heard you guys talk about it before. I've talked about it before. And I think it's just going to be something that Suns Twitter, Suns communities online are going to keep talking about because we need to. You know, if you saw the game against the Kings on that awful Jumbotron feed last night and you saw the lack of Tyler Johnson on the court creates these odd lineup combinations of guys like Javon Carter, Ty Jerome out on the court at the same time. Uh, it's It becomes very clear that the way this roster is constructed, the Suns could potentially use uh, situations where Booker and Rubio are staggered. So, like, Booker for himself, I think, has basically been Devin Booker. You know, he didn't shoot too well last night, maybe committed a few too many turnovers in the first game, but I'm not worried about him. He's going to get back on track. Uh, we should just talk about as much as Ricky Rubio can make it easier for Booker to play, should we still kind of transition Booker into that point guard role in uh, in some hefty minutes this season? David, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's the big question here. It's the one that I had written down to, to, to direct towards Sam. Uh, I've definitely heard him talk about this already, and he gave us a bit of a teaser there to it as well. So I don't need to ask him the question again. But, you know, I think that's the big question. I said on Twitter earlier this week, I think maybe after the Sacramento game, I can't remember, but you know, it, it seems to be the narrative that a lot of people that I pay attention to on Sun's Twitter are probably going to be talking about, but maybe the team isn't doing. And, you know, it's a lot easier for us to talk about these on-paper decisions than have to deal with the locker room. But, you know, it seems pretty obvious to me when they were playing together, even though it is early days, Rubio was deferring to Booker quite a lot, probably more than what you'd expect. Uh, and then the question remains is, can you split them up a little bit more to get that cohesiveness? It didn't appear to be too much a problem in game one versus Minnesota, but we all saw it in game two. The first unit wasn't really in line with each other. And then the second unit uh, really struggled to playmake and, and get any kind of creation going. But probably my only other point on Booker Max, and you and I have discussed this privately a little bit, is he looks healthier, yep. I will say. I won't comment on his body fat percentages or anything like that. Uh, I will just say healthier. Yeah, I'll, I'll comment on that. Not the exact percentages, but I do think he is in better shape this year, much better shape. And maybe that's related to the injury last time around. I don't know. You could probably still do cardio with a hurt hand. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, he, he looks better. Uh, I thought, you know, shooting from three, I think his three looks good. I mean, it's an incredibly small sample size. I just think he looks good shooting it. I thought he tried a little harder on defense against Sacramento. As David, you pointed out in Twitter with the clip, uh, he didn't always go well. I think he actually you know, showed some effort. Yeah. The Booker Rubio thing is really interesting to me. I, I mean, I think it's going to really come down to, uh, and this isn't a preseason take, this is an always take, you know, can they get good guard play aside from those guys? Because, you know, if they, they ha if they only have two good guards, then they have to play together a significant amount to have any good lineups. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, and we can start going into the Ty Jerome. I have to get every conversation to Ty Jerome now. Uh, <laughs> if he can play pretty well, especially as like a secondary playmaker, uh, shooter, scorer type, 
I really like him with Devin Booker. I think that may be like who you want to have with Devin Booker. Like exactly, mm-hmm. let Booker run his point guard thing and let and let Ty Jerome kind of have the pressure off him. Maybe a secondary playmaker and and scorer and shooter. And that kind of makes a lot of sense to me because I gotta say, as much as I like Rubio, especially uh, the beginning of the Minnesota game, I thought he was really awesome. I thought that's kind of what we wanted to see out of Rubio. A little less in the next game and, and later in the Minnesota game, but there was still the thing where he couldn't shoot, and teams let him shoot, and there were some clanks. And I know he's been a better shooter, and I think he was pretty good in the uh, in the World Cup or whatever. Uh, but you know, he's not a natural shooter. Teams are going to let him shoot, and there are going to be clanks. And so, you know, you would really like to have Booker play with Jerome. The skill sets fit together better. Yeah. And Jerome's play gave us some hope that maybe they'll be more ready to be together than we thought. But uh, you know, still remains to be seen. Tyler Johnson, hard to know where he's at because we didn't see very much of him. But uh, let's go ahead and go to Sam on uh, Jerome. What do, you, what do you think about what you saw from Ty Jerome so far? Ty's looked really aggressive, and I think that's a good thing out of your rookie. I think it's uh, an indication that he's exactly what James Jones was drafting, uh, which is a more NBA-ready prospect. Now, I think some of the weaknesses that were scouted about him are, we still see those as well. He's not particularly deceptive. I don't see him throwing many moves out on the court that I think are going to be all that effective in doing things like creating space. And, you know, I think that's what we saw uh, yesterday in the game against the Kings when lineups featuring him and Carter actually shot pretty well relative to the rest of the team but but they weren't really creating for each other they really struggled with that aspect of the game yeah uh and but to your point Max that's why potentially this is a great pairing of Ty Jerome with Devin Booker because Devin Booker obviously is very good at that Ty Jerome was a very good shooter from NBA range even uh at Virginia in a way that Ricky Rubio is just not uh, so I think putting those two guys together could be uh, really interesting. And overall, I think Ty has been good uh, in preseason. Dave, what do you think? i, I got to get one Tiger Rome reference in here, Max, early on. <laughs> <laughs> I slipped up early on. Is that how you pronounce it? I didn't know if it was Tiger Rome or Tiger Romy. I'm going with Tiger Rome, but if, uh, if okay. people want to go with Tiger Romy, I'm not going to stop that either. But uh, that was that was a nice development during the week. But yeah, I like your point, Max, on on Rubio clanking a few threes. I think he's you know one of six so far from downtown. Did shoot well in the World Cup, but it's a much shorter distance that he seems to be a lot more comfortable with taking. So you know, I think we are going to get that's going to be one of the things that frustrates Suns fans if the staggering doesn't happen we're going to start to get frustrated by Rubio missing some important threes in certain situations because you know defenses are already going towards Devin Booker and and you know being willing to sag off Rubio as the the negative shooter on the court and we'll get into I guess who else should play to uh, mitigate that a little bit when they are going to play Rubio and Booker together, which, mind you, they they do need to do. I'm still in support of it kind of early and late in games because I think Rubio's leadership and uh, being able to, to defer to him is important. But, you know, for me, it's more about just having one of the two of them on the court at all times. And, and I like both of your points about Ty uh, with Devin Booker because I think Ty's probably looked more effective on ball than off it so you know if you can get him on ball and still keep Booker um, you know in catch and shoot situations and things which I think is why his three has looked better as well Max in in a small sample sizes I think there was one pass from Ricky where I was just like I don't know if I even saw that once last year where he just (laughs) you know caught the ball and it was just all net from three so you know for Ty the touch is amazing Uh, you know I commented on you know just being unwilling to to say right away that he's going to be able to get into the lane and 
kind of be crafty. I think, Sam, you nailed it on the head. He, he doesn't have too much in the arsenal to get in there, but it is encouraging, even though it's preseason. He does seem to be getting into the teeth of the defense a little bit, being able to finish over the top and, and create for others. So I'm looking forward to see that in you know proper settings. Uh, and pour some out for poor Tyler Johnson, who had a horrible yeah. first game <laughs> and then a migraine for the second, because I'm seeing people already, you know, taking him out of rotation discussions, which I just think is crazy. Oh, that's I, I still think he can be, you know, a perfect third or fourth guard that, that matches up quite well with Rubio and Booker. I, in fact, I kind of love him, and we're going to get into Kelly and, and Mikhail and maybe Cam in that starting small forward role shortly. But, you know, Tyler. Ubre and Baines all in the second unit kind of just makes me feel comfortable that there won't be too many let-ups or anything when the second unit comes in. So I kind of like that unit. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to say for the guards here, Max, other than Carter getting his fair chance at, at a run and, and Ali basically getting none except for dead minutes at the end of the games, which I guess continues on from what we were all saying in terms of uh, Ali's spot. Uh, on the roster, Max. Yeah, I want to go a little more on Jerome and Rubio. Particularly, you touched on it. Uh, and touch, that's the right word. Try Jerome's touch. Oh, my God. Yep. That, that dude just, like, throws the ball towards the rim and then it just goes in. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. it's feathery is the word I'll use for it. I like that. Uh, and, and then I want to go to Rubio, too. I mean, we can't understate like, how much he changed the way the Suns looked in that first preseason game compared to the last, like, three seasons. Yeah. It was so much more confident. It. It really matters to have an NBA point guard, apparently. I, I guess that's the thing that you need. Uh, and then, before we go to uh, Sam, I'll let you comment on any of this. David, do you want to talk about uh, Javon Carter? Are, are you not rooting for him to make the team after what happened today? <laughs> we, we've all seen his mum uh, on Twitter. I think she's taken over from Rashawn Holmes's mum in, in the hearts of Suns fans. And uh, uh, she clearly found his uh, video that I put up in seven plays, which came back this week. Uh, and then he found it as well and and retweeted it too. So Javon's out there looking, and, and so is his mum, which uh, I know has a, a small place in, in Sam's heart uh, with the Timeline podcast and, and their reputation of uh, parents online. <laughs> well, fu- funny you mentioned that, actually, because I think Mike had a conversation with uh, Ty Jerome's father after that first game <laughs> <laughs> via text where he was like, hey, he played... He played a great game. He was super aggressive. Uh, great game, Mark. And, and he texted back and he said, yeah, he was aggressive. But, you know, just a couple mistakes here and there. Just being the ultimate coach, you know, focusing more on the negatives of his son than the positives. But um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no, I, I actually didn't see that about Javon Carter's mom. I didn't know that she was so active on Twitter already. I had heard some rumors about it, but uh, I hadn't seen You heard some evidence. rumors about it. <laughs> Well, no, not rumors, but like I saw a couple tweets about it a couple of days ago. I was like, "Oh, watch out, guys!" Uh, Javon Carter's mom is on Twitter, but I hadn't actually seen her like pop up in any threads. Uh, Has she been doing that? She's out there. She is out there. She is out there. She's lurking. And you know, he's getting he's getting a go. And you know, I'm not the biggest fan of his right now, but. Uh, his defense certainly stands out, I guess, just like DeAnthony Melton's did last year because there's a a pretty big lack of it across multiple lines in the Suns roster at the moment, guys. Yeah. In fact, when I was talking about the Booker-Jerome lineup together, that might be a problem on defense, a slight problem. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the other one more thing on Jerome because I'm obsessed with him. This isn't necessarily even a good thing. That guy rockets passes across the court faster than I maybe have seen anybody do. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous how fast his passes go. They're not always accurate, but I kind of feel like if that gets to the point where they are accurate, that's going to be kind of a skill. 
And I'm only guessing throw passes that quickly. Yeah, at the moment, I just remember the one that rocketed over the bench and into the crowd yeah. from the first game. I think he had five turnovers in that first one. But good on him, you know, and we're going to get on to Cam in a minute. They've come in confident, and that's what you want when you draft, you know, a couple of more experienced rookies, I guess. And, you know, they're coming in, they know their games. Uh, they certainly seem to know their roles within the Suns' offense as well. Uh, and neither of them have looked, you know, I think Fox rocked Ty Jerome on, on one possession um, in the last game against Sacramento, but neither of them have looked like total liabilities on defense, which, you know, James Jones and, and Monty had both commented on after drafting them is, you know, maybe not the greatest individual defenders, but they know how to work within a system and, and kind of play their role. So, yeah, I think encouraging signs, we all, you know, and everyone probably listening to this at the moment, particularly if they listen to it before the next Portland game, um, you know, are going to have that Kings game stuck in our heads. But I guess as Sam touched on at the very top, let's not overreact too much to everything that happened in that Kings game. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox rocks everybody. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, Sam, let's move on to the wings here. Let's go to Cam Johnson. He started both of these games, which is interesting. I think it's because of the injuries, but still interesting. Uh, what are your impressions of the rookie? Uh, other than the fact that he's old, we now have other things to talk about him uh, with. So what did you see from him in the first couple of games? I'm actually surprised you want to start with Cam and not and not Kelly because I think well, we can he, bring out Well, the Suns started with the, him. So We can bring out the spike <laughs> that's true they did start with him. Okay, I'll save my spiciest takes for Kelly Oubre, but uh but Cam has looked <laughs> Cam has looked pretty solid so far, you know. I I still don't see a compelling case for him to crack a regular season rotation uh, if everyone else is healthy, which right now that's just not the case, but you know, I, I guess the one thing is actually I know he's not a wing um, but depending on your feelings of Frank Kaminsky as a backup four versus what's probably his more natural position as a five right now, you could argue, hey, maybe Cam can really make some minutes for himself in the rotation there yeah. uh, and earn some minutes at the four. But at the three, mm-hmm. uh, he's been solid for a rookie. Again, just like Ty, he's been NBA ready. He's been very confident in a shot. And you heard one of the... Uh, things that came out of media day and came out of training camp was Monty talking about, uh, I think he just said it a few days ago, about how he wants his players to be making decisions um, within half a second or less. And Cam catches it on the perimeter and he immediately rises up for a shot. There's no hesitation. He's very confident in that aspect of his game, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but not enough for him to be playing over Kelly, who, you know, obviously, despite some struggles, it's not like I've given up on him, uh, or McHale to start the regular season. So I don't know. I, I don't really think Cam's position has changed much through two games, and that's unfortunate for him, but it's kind of just the way it is. David, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, it, it's been good to see, you know, we discussed this, I think, last episode, Max, is not seeing both him and Jerome in Summer League. This was going to be our chance. I think he's probably actually been helped by coming in and, and starting with those starters because he can play more of a role that suits him. Whereas if he had to, you know, come off the bench in these preseason games and play with the second unit, you know, he might be asked to do a little bit more and kind of be exposed a little bit. So that role has certainly suited him, particularly while they trial some guys that you would have to think aren't going to be in the regular rotation. Cam might be one of those. Cam might not be one of those. You know, he he is confident with the ball. He's, he's thrown up six threes so far in the, in the two games. I just hope he keeps getting them up. You know, I looked over the, the first two box scores and there was probably four or five guys that shot more threes than him in the first two games. And that just shouldn't happen if he's playing, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night. That's what he's in there for. So, you know, I just encourage him to, to keep getting them up. And he's shown some other flashes too, you know, whether it's been defensively or, as Sam said, moving the ball, 
uh, making quick quick decisions. So that's probably been the most encouraging thing with Cam so far, particularly with him having to start. And, you know, makes it all uh, a, a little bit funny that we con- continually in the offseason go over these things around, like, why would you draft another wing and blah, blah, blah. And then the season starts and both Kelly and Mikhail uh, are injured. And that's why, Max, because, you know, we can talk about these things on paper all the time, but things happen during an NBA season and having multiple wings uh, is never a bad thing and having them compete for a couple of spots. So, I mean, I'll throw it to you, Max, and it's probably like the staggering thing question here, but you can throw in some of your thoughts around this question and then we can get Sam's thoughts on it. Who should start and who will start? At the small forward position, David? Yes, but if you want to allude to something else, because I've got a bit of a theory as well, feel free to mix it up as well. Ooh, I didn't know you had a theory. Um, <laughs> well, I'll start with Cam's real quick and I'll get to your question. I'm pretty impressed. Actually, I'm very impressed. I think he's really confident. I'm just impressed how confident he is. Yep. I don't think the lack of his getting shots up is really his fault. I think the Suns haven't done a great job of creating shots for him. Yep. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm pretty encouraged by what I saw from Cam. Uh, in terms of who I think should start, I mean, Mikel Bridges is obviously better than Kelly Oubre, David. I, 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 th- I, mean, I mean, listen, it was one game, but I already thought this, and it's kind of confirmation bias. Uh, Mikel Bridges is just really damned good at defense, and they need defense. Desperately. David, again, re- referencing referencing the post you put on earlier of uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton pretending to play defense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they need Mikel's defense in there. So, I mean, I think it's – I think, and, and the other point, which both of us have made a million times, I think everyone's made this point, Kelly Oubre makes more sense on the bench with his energy yep. and his aggression. Uh, so I, I don't even think it's that difficult. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean – Look, Kelly did his best Josh Jackson impression last night, and and I think <laughs> it's just... I didn't realize he was zero of nine. Jesus Christ, Kelly. God damn. He was so he bad. He was zero of nine, a couple of bricks right at the rim. And, and the unfortunate thing is that we haven't seen much of Kelly yet. There hasn't been all the... It's only a half-season sample size, but you see games like this, and you really start to realize that at his worst, this is a one-dimensional yep. player. Uh, and, and his weaknesses are... They just stand out so clearly in the starting lineup in a way that that just wouldn't be the case if Mikhail were starting. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he, you know, he he is the one guy right now in a starting lineup of Rubio, Booker, him, Sharich, and Aiton uh, who can't create for others, and he's you know also just the one. Actually, I guess okay, he and Rubio both can't shoot, so you have that problem in the starting lineup. But the playmaking thing really stands out when Kelly is in there versus Mikhail, who I thought showed amazing flashes of playmaking last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I guess it leads to a, a greater point of there's this scary proposition about this season with the Suns in general, where if the Suns are going to win as many games as some Suns homers believe they will, like, you know, if you want to get to 35 plus wins, it's not going to be based on the argument, I don't think, of Devin Booker being one of the greatest players in the NBA. He's great, but he's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. It's going to be based on the Suns having this balanced attack. And really getting good seasons out of Kelly Oubre, Dario Saric, uh, and aging Ricky Rubio, and, and just frankly, all of these guys who are unknowns at this point, and that goes for Kelly Oubre as well. He is very much an unknown to us at this point. Uh, and just the the proposition of really getting the best case scenario rather than more of like a mid case scenario out of all of those guys is a little bit concerning to me, especially after seeing Kelly uh, 
you know, throw up a complete dud last night. Again, I'm not making any major judgments on him based on preseason, but I just think Mikhail's skill set does fit in the starting lineup a lot better. I hope Mikhail plays more. That doesn't mean I dislike Kelly Oubre, uh, but I think there's a lot more to work with if you throw Mikhail in the starting lineup point blank. So real quick on the, on the Kelly thing, I, I see what you're saying. He threw up a complete zero because he was very bad. In fact, I think the Josh Jackson comparison was even uh, more apparent when he got a, a jump shot blocked from behind by Darren Fox. That's something that Josh Jackson would do. <laughs> um, but he did, and a couple people made this point on Twitter, he did get a stagnant offense kind of going by just getting to the line. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing he does. So I, I, that, And again, that's something that makes sense in the bench unit. So... I think that's kind of what you want out of Kelly. He's somebody who can generate points in a sort of like a in-the-trenches sort of way, um, which I think is more useful when you're not playing with Booker and Aiton, who are our scorers. Uh, but, uh, but David, go ahead and, and go on. You were about to jump in there. No, I think you make a, you know the perfect point with Kelly, particularly with the game last night. Eight of ten from free throws uh, was basically the only way or was the only way that he got his points after being zero of nine from the field. And you're right, that fits much more inside the second unit you know maybe there's times with that first unit where things are stagnant where it would be great to have an aggressive guy like Kelly but all things going well like that Minnesota game if Aiton, Rubio and Booker are all rolling you don't really need that in the starting lineup it's a much bigger need uh, in the second unit and you know Mikhail even in his 15 minutes last night looked really aggressive Sam I'm with you in terms of the flashes that he showed towards the end of last season playmaking and kind of off the dribble unfortunately the shot looks kind of the same as last year which is not yeah, great i would it 100 percent does mm-hmm. except for that except for that off the dribble shot that he had david not a three-pointer but that was yeah beautiful. it seems to be something to do with depth you know it's something around the three-point line that he has changed his mechanics whereas yeah that one uh where he you know took a dribble inside it was it was perfect it's exactly what you want to see and you wish that you saw it a little bit more with his three-point shot so yeah i'm i don't need to double down too much on both of those points i think mikhail has to start that's a bit of a change uh, of tune for me. I thought it was probably the right move, but didn't think it sh- you know was going to happen. Whereas you know I kind of hope now with these last two games, you know Kelly got a chance with the first unit towards the end of the game yesterday. I'm hoping Mikhail gets his chance in these last two games, and I think it will be very obvious to everyone involved that that's the move that they need to make. Now, if they kind of want to play the hedge game here a little bit, I think. Backup power forward is one of the weaker positions if you look at the whole rotation at the moment. We're going to get into the bigs in a little bit. But I wouldn't be against Sharic coming off the bench and starting Mikhail and Kelly together. Sam, what do you think? Can can I say that I don't think that's a bad idea from a basketball standpoint, David, but Sharic is the wild card on this roster who scares me from a chemistry standpoint. And I've gone on the record saying that before. It's like... Mm -hmm. I go into the like I think Kelly's comments that he's made about Mikhail, Kelly really roots hard for Mikhail Bridges, which is not something you typically see. Like more so than most people root for their backup who is actively competing with them for minutes due. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's really something he should be commended for is he is embracing that kind of veteran role, even though they're basically the same age. Yeah. Whereas Sharich is coming from a situation where he played for a team that was substantially better than the Suns were last season in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um and he got a decent amount of minutes. He played 24 minutes per game he started half of the games he was there and he was deeply deeply unhappy with that situation so 
if if we decide that Kelly Oubre is a better player than Dario Saric, then then Oubre should start and Saric should sit on the bench. However, I am worried about putting Saric on the bench, even though you know he's only on a one year deal and you could just kick him off the roster next year, just because I I, I worry about a repeat situation there. Does that make sense to you guys? Or no, it it absolutely makes sense. It's really interesting. I guess this is kind of a transition into into Dario and the bigs. I'll, I'll just real quick answer David's thing. I, I mean, I think Kelly and Mikel should be the closing unit for sure. Yes, uh, those are definitely going to be our our best unit. Uh, and <laughs> it's kind of preview when I think about Sarge so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of starting it, it's been you know it's matchup based. I think the Suns we've talked about this before, <laughs> David. They're going to want to keep a consistent starting unit out there. Uh, night to night. I don't think they're going to switch around. Um, maybe it makes sense for them to sort of uh, in a theoretical level, but I just don't think they're going to want to do that. If they do, then it would make sense for them to, you know, start Kelly at power forward in matchups where, you know, uh, they're not playing against, you know, Julius Randle uh, as power forward. But I, I just don't see them going that way. So I think they're going to have to start uh, Sharge there. Yeah. So let's just use that as a transition to go into Sharge. Um I don't know. We'll start with David. David, uh, I don't know. I don't like him very much. I, I see some <laughs> of the. I see some of the like, heads up, like he's smart plays from him. I think he plays very well when the Suns are playing well. I think he's kind of like, <laughs> he kind of strikes me as a front runner, David. And th- I know I'm, I'm doing this off a couple of games. I've, I watched with Philly though in, in Minnesota and kind of felt the same way about him. Yeah. I think he plays very well when everyone around him is playing well. I think when everyone around him is not playing well, he's not the guy to raise all boats. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I think, you know, I'll touch on a few things here. The the whole, um, you know, starting Kelly and McHale thing would just be about getting as much athleticism as possible into that, you know, best unit. And I think you make a good point. We've talked about this quite a lot. You know, if your best unit is finishing games and not necessarily starting them, then that's not the end of the world as well. So that might be another way to, you know, approach it without pissing Sharich off as you know Sam kind of alluded to there it could go pretty badly if you jettison him to the bench right away Um, I think he looks a little bit thinner which we were kind of hoping for Max I'm going to start off with a really uh, negative comparison here that people are going to hate me for and then try and bring it back a little (laughs) bit of positivity back to it but the first two games I've seen of him remind me of what I saw from Ryan Anderson to start Mm. last year and that's just like a you know a total reluctance to shoot trying to do too much you know on closeouts rather than just shooting if he's open and moving the ball on if he's not um you know he looks rusty Uh, I think Sam again made the perfect point up the top let's not overreact here you know something that I've never really understood about him well I understand it but hard to get my head around with NBA basketball compared to sports that I watch you know back here home so you just don't get a lot of time together uh before the season starts versus some sports that I watch back here where they're kind of training for two or three months together and kind of come out in in game one as a you know united unit so I'm going to give him a little bit of time before I start you know throwing out that he's a, a hopeless cause on the Suns but you know I think it's been interesting to see what they're trying to do with the fours I think there's particularly with Sharich and Frank there's a lot of kind of early offense post touches to kind of spread the floor a little bit and get Aiton dangerous. Um, and, you know, a lot of pick-and-pop brush screen type stuff as well to use their shooting. Just unfortunately, no one's really shot the ball all that well yet. But, you know, hopefully that's one of the things that a little bit of rust comes off to start the season and, and he's looking a little bit better. What do you think, Sam? I'm I'm really glad you mentioned the shooting thing because it's really easy to be down on this team when they're breaking so many shots. 
Uh, the Suns shot 23% from three over these two games, and, and that's just not sustainable. So, you know, I think we could be talking in much better terms about them if they had made just three or four more threes yesterday and yeah. and had been able to rise up to an average percentage. And I think that applies to Dario specifically as well, A, because he's been missing shots, but B, because I think uh, stretch four in particular is the role and the position that frustrates fans in the NBA, I think, more than any other position or any other role, because... Oftentimes with these stretch fours, it's all they do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's all that Dario is capable of. I, I actually think he's capable of so much more than that. But oftentimes, if that's the role you're playing on offense and you come on nights like the Suns had against Sacramento last night where you're not hitting shots and your shot just looks flat, you're not contributing anything else to your team. And the fans get really, really riled up, which is something that we've seen with Channing Fry, Mirza Toledovic. Uh, Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris, obviously, to an extent with both of them over the past several years. So I think the same is and Ryan Anderson, too. I, I kind of forget just how many stretch fours we've had on this team yeah. uh, over the past decade. So I think the same is going to be true for Dario. Um, I think he's got a lot more to his game, and I think the Suns will figure out how to use him. I like the elbow touches because, again, one of the advantages of him is this is a guy where I really do believe in his uh, ability to play make. Yeah. Now, I will say... The post touches he's had so far, just through two games, have been disastrous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not good, not good. Some of the hook shots that that he's taken have looked like you know Alex Len esque, and and they've just been really bad. But I I don't you know expect Dario to be a post up player. I expect him to create some playmaking every once in a while out of the post. But I think three point shooting will be his bread and butter. Um, I think we he's a guy where he can actually get out in transition and run way more than Ryan Anderson was able to do. Yeah. And we just haven't gotten to see that yet. But it's gonna come eventually. And I don't know. I have faith that he can be a starting caliber power forward for sure. Yeah, and I think we even saw you know maybe even a couple of pick and rolls. I remember kind of my eyes. Um, opening when I saw him and DeAndre try and run a pick and roll together. I don't think the result was great. But yeah, I think that's a good point by you, Sam, is that they are at least thinking about how they can involve him more in the offense for what he you know, believes he's capable of and, and has shown he is capable of uh, with both Philly and, and Minnesota in some shorter stints as well. So yeah, let's one to watch and, and hopefully can get acclimatized with the starting unit a little bit more and, and we're not having those panic situations, Max. Yeah, even if we're nitpicking here on Sarge, you know, he not maybe a long-term solution or anything, but he's so much better than we had last year at the four. <laughs> yes. I think. At least he makes threes. He can actually make the threes when they come to him. And he plays along with the team's concept. When the team's playing well, he won't submarine them. That's that's kind of what we're looking forward, starting for, uh, based on where we've been. But I think it's time to get to uh, maybe the elephant in the room, the biggest man in the sun. His <laughs> name is DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I think DeAndre Ayton was actually pretty good in the first game. Uh, even beyond the numbers, obviously the numbers were good, but I don't care what the numbers are. DeAndre Ayton, I want to see him play better defense. And he played better defense in the first game, mm-hmm. I thought. I mean, he wasn't excellent, but he was better. Yep. Much better. And that's kind of what we want to see from him. If he's if he's at just, you know, kind of okay levels and uh, the offense goes along with it, great. That's what we want to see from DeAndre Ayton. That's progression. The Sacramento game was not that. Uh, he was much, much worse. He looked a lot more like last year. Uh, again, I, I'm not going to, you know, really go too far into preseason games to judge whether DeAndre Ayton's going to bring effort uh, to this team. This year, uh, I think DeAndre Ayton, of, of anybody, is not going to care much about preseason games. So, uh, is there anything we could learn from this, Sam, about what we saw from DeAndre Ayton? Are you encouraged, discouraged, or is it really just, let's wait for game one against Sacramento and see what we got? Well, I think he had one great game and one terrible game. So, you land, you take the average and land somewhere in the middle. 
and I guess we'll see how he plays tomorrow and then adjust based on that. But the way I'm feeling with DeAndre right now is I just don't know what it's like personally to be 7'1 and 250 pounds. <laughs> and when I look at him right now, it's like I can't tell if he really doesn't care or if his conditioning just has that that far to go. You know, like in theory, this is an athletic player, but 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 some of the reads he makes, like I'm like, can he really not bridge that gap? Can he not make that distance? Yeah. Or is this just truly an effort problem? Like that's the thing I'm struggling with DeAndre right now when I watch him. Yeah. I just can't tell supposedly on paper he's an athletic guy but i can't tell what he's actually capable of because i don't see him play at 100 percent with that full motor all that often we didn't see it much last year and we haven't seen it through the first two games he was very good with his stat line as you pointed out max in uh, game one against minnesota but obviously that's not reflective of the full picture for david real quick i want to ask sam uh this you and i both talked about this so and this is not just based on this one preseason game, not a, not an overreaction or anything, because this has been since college. Is it, is it a recognition thing, a reaction time thing? Like, what do you think it is that is causing DeAndre Ayton to not be in the right spots on this stuff? Because obviously he's athletic enough, and I honestly don't think it seems like he's not trying. I think he is trying. Why is he not getting to these spots? I don't. It's just. You know, I, I wish I had an answer for you, but it's the great mystery, right? Because this is a guy you need reaction time to play perimeter defense. It's not something that goes yeah. away when you're protecting the rim. So the notion that DeAndre is able to, for the most part, stay in front of his man out there, but then you bring him a few feet closer and, and suddenly he's terrible, I, I just don't understand what it is. I, I really, I'm at a loss. It's fun, Muxing. David? <laughs> Max, you mentioned that video that I posted of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. I think that's kind of it in a nutshell at the moment is you know, the way I look at it is he just uh, doesn't read the game at a level of what you would hope for a guy who's anchoring your defense. And therefore, you know, these low light plays, as we call them, tend to stand out a hell of a lot more. I, you know, the point that I was trying to make on Twitter is I just want somebody to simplify the game for him. Yeah. Just tell him to get to the rim and be a seven foot one, 250 pound massive human and make guys finish over you if they still finish over you that's fine i actually think that's one thing that aaron baines does really really well and is way less athletic than deandre ayton and you know one thing that i'm hoping he's going to be able to teach him uh, the more that they practice throughout the year because instead he goes for the the steal that he's just never going to get to and then it's a wide open dunk and that just reflects really badly on him and the team's defense overall. So, you know, I think as a defender of Igor, uh, I think they simplified the game really well for him last year on both ends. People saw that as them not using him to his utmost ability. I actually think that it was smart coaching. It made the game really simple for him. Even the defensive flashes that we saw were from, you know, really making it easy for him and saying, we want you to guard Giannis. We want you to guard LeBron. That's your role. Try and do it to the best of your ability. I just want someone, it's, I guess, got to be Mark Bryan in this case, to kind of just show him that if he gets stuck, just run to the rim and use verticality and make guys finish over you. And I think we'll actually see a much better defender this year. But, you know, perfect that we've seen one pretty good game and one pretty bad game from him so far because that's just <laughs> a microcosm of DeAndre Ayton and, the I guess, two camps that talk about DeAndre Ayton on the internet. So things are perfect so far. And, and Sam, as you said, someone will come out on top after the next game, I guess, uh, with the advantage. But <laughs> projecting forward a little bit, guys, 
five games into the season, you know, we're saying we don't want to overreact to two preseason games here, but five games into the season, what's the one thing, Sam, that we really want to see from Aiton? You know, you mentioned motor and stuff there. And then I guess what's the one thing that we don't want to see that would just ring alarm bells for you very early in the season uh, if we're getting that out of DeAndre Aiton? Yeah, we, we want to see motor for for lack of a better term you know i'm trying to think of a better way to phrase it but but really no that's a, that's a good I, term I, just, Sam. I can't think of of a better package that's exactly what i want from him he doesn't have to have a complicated game i don't need him taking 20 shots i don't need him taking frankly i do hope we get to the point this season where he's taking threes yeah but i don't need it immediately you know a, a simple game defense first is fine from deandre ayton and there are enough offensive options on this team uh, thanks to James Jones, that he doesn't have to worry all that much about them. You know, as much as people were crying for more and more touches uh, under Igor Kokoshkov, I don't expect that to be an immediate thing under Monty. Uh, and so really, it just comes down to motor. Focus on the offensive rebounds, focus on, on defense, boxing out, setting hard screens, thanks to the mentorship you get from Aaron Baines, and the rest will take care of itself with time. This is going to sound weird, I think, to most people. I want to see DeAndre Ayton get dunked on. <laughs> I want people to dunk on him multiple times. That means he's in the right place. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? At least. Yep. Aaron Baines gets dunked on. Sean Bradley. Uh, Sean Bradley is. If you're in the right place, yeah. you get dunked on sometimes. I would also love to see Ayton dunk on others. I want him to be more involved in the plays. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's too many plays where Ayton should be involved in the play because he's the most athletically gifted giant guy in the court, and he's just not there. I want him to be involved. I want him to have an impact on the game. Uh, I think in game one he did that. I think he uh, did a good job, you know, kind of being in the way. I think he did a job with verticality. I think he did a good job on offense getting, you know, him and Rubio. Some of the, some of the pick and roll stuff was beautiful. Like, we shouldn't overlook how awesome Aiton and Rubio were in game one. Yeah. There, there was some really nice stuff there. Uh, also, Aiton demonstrated the touch. I mean, Aiton's touch is still there, guys. He is incredible. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, one of the, I, he had a turnaround jumper from, like, uh, 16 feet. Yeah. Uh, towards the baseline. It's ridiculous. DeAndre Ayton is as gifted as you're going to find a person. Mm-hmm. He just needs to give a shit. That's all we need from DeAndre Ayton. And listen, it could just be preseason. I'm not seeing it yet. It's just preseason. But I want to see him in the first few games of the season, David, look like he gives a shit. Yeah, I think he is learning and we're all learning along with him that the game doesn't come to you in the NBA. You said something the other day, Max, that this yes. really hit me between the eyes. He's got to go out and be assertive every single game. And I think this is where the coaches earn their money. This is where Ricky Rubio, as both a leader and a point guard, earns their money. They have to work out how to tap into whatever it is with DeAndre Ayton to make him realize that he has to go and grab every single game by the balls and not expect the game to come to him because that's when we see the really bad DeAndre Ayton games. When he's involved, when he's aggressive, we all praise him because it's great. And the touch shows, the defense shows, everything's showing. And, you know, we're all happy again. But, you know, whoever it is that needs to do it and and earn their paycheck, whether it's him himself as well as some others, they need to tap into whatever they can do on a nightly basis. Because, you know, Kellen and, and Kevin on their Empire of the Suns podcast asked this question, you know, a few weeks ago is, you know, how many games... Uh, you know, this season, are we going to see a dud like consecutively? Like, is it going to be every four or five games or, you know, like last season, it was probably every three or four, I suppose. And the answer should just be zero. Like we shouldn't be having a dud preseason game number two at the very start of the season. And that's why, even though it is preseason, it is a little bit concerning with DeAndre. 
Yeah, it's it, what we need to see from him is that he gives a shit, and we're not going to see that until uh, the first few games of the regular season. Sam, anyone else you want to talk about, Aiden, or any of their bigs, or should we go to Did You Know? I think uh, basically time for Did You Know. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't know. Diallo and didn't make much of an impression on you guys, right? Yeah, terrible. <laughs> Diallo and Frank have both looked rough, and you know my only real yeah, thing yeah. to say on them is you know I was mentioning earlier in the the off season max that I'm pretty sure they're both fives and i didn't see anything in the first two games to uh change my opinion on that right now a lot of fives not a lot of fours yep uh but shout out to our guy aaron baines who broke his nose and still played in a damn preseason game with a face mask yeah we'll, we'll see i know we have a timeline guy on here there tend to be rashawn holmes fans rashawn holmes got the better of aaron baines he sure did he did i love rashawn holmes still I like him a lot, too. We'll see how the regular season goes. Maybe it'll work out. We'll see. But uh, let's go to Did You Know. All right. So, Max and Sam, with the NBA season fast approaching, I took my annual look around the league rosters and was quite surprised by how many ex-Suns names I saw pop up. Granted, we're currently at the point of the preseason where a lot of teams are carrying 20 players. But did you know, before a certain number one pick was waived the other day, there were currently 41 ex-Suns on other teams? Guys, with 29 other teams in the league, I'm going to set the line right down the middle here at 14.5 for your first quiz. Would you go the over or under for how many teams in the NBA currently have an ex-Phoenix Suns on their roster? Sam, you're the guest. We will throw you in the fire first. The Suns have had an absurd amount of players. (laughs) <laughs> over the past few years just an absurd amount of like 10 day <laughs> i think probably every nba team has some former 10 day contract suns point guard so i'm gonna take the over david max yeah i'm, I'm over too I, I i you know sam convinced me you're both starting off well here the answer is over with 17 of the other 29 teams <laughs> that's hilarious currently holding a player who has come through the desert and worn the purple and orange. Well, in some cases, there are guys that maybe didn't even make it to the Valley or put on the jersey, but they were officially sons for a short period either way. Now, before we get onto some of the players and their teams, I'll start with the 12 teams that, for better or worse, don't currently have an ex-son on their roster. And for good measure, I'm going to throw in the closest tie to Phoenix that I possibly can. First up... Boston and Brooklyn neither have sons on the court right now, but they have ex-sons in charge of getting them on the court. And that is Danny Ainge, a son from 92 to 95, and Sean Marks from 06 to 08 as their respective Wait, David, hold on. The Milwaukee pick doesn't count as a son. It was here so long, I felt like it became a son. I should have had that as the link, but no, it doesn't. (laughs) Uh, Next up is the Charlotte Hornets, who, of course, did us all a favor by stealing Terry Rozier from us this offseason. But they also have a Zeller brother in Cody. Another Zeller, Tyler, has a summer deal with the Denver Nuggets, who are the fourth team without an ex-son. But Max and Sam, another quiz for you. What's the first name of the third Zeller who spent a hot minute on the Suns? Luke. Hey, Sam, two from two. Look at this guy. (laughs) Our fifth team is the LA Clippers, who of course landed Kawhi Leonard this offseason. Our Suns link here is that the Suns apparently famously passed up on Kawhi at the draft because he sweated through his suit during the interview (sighs) shout out to two of the 41 ex-sons around the league in the morris twins with detroit and new york right now who were taken at 13 and 14 in that draft before Kawhi. onto the sixth team minnesota who we played the other day who landed jarrett culver with the suns pick in the draft 
and the seventh team, New Orleans, who have no on-court ex-Phoenicians, but Alvin Gentry, David Griffin, and Aaron Nelson are leading their off-court team, as we know. The closest link I could get for Orlando, our eighth team, is Michael Carter-Williams is on their team and was traded from our ninth team, Philadelphia, in a deal that involved ex-son Brandon Knight. As for Philly, Haywood Highsmith signed an Exhibit <laughs> 10 deal with them this summer after reneging on the same deal from Phoenix, apparently. And that leaves us with three more teams to go. Tenth is the Spurs, and everyone listening probably knows how close the Suns came to signing LaMarcus Aldridge a few years ago. Eleventh, the 18-19 champion Toronto Raptors have literally nothing tied to the Phoenix Suns, Max, and that's probably a great metaphor for both teams' success recently, (laughs) but they have currently taken a chance on two guys with Arizona ties. Max, Sam got the last one right, so I'm throwing to you. Any guesses on the two guys on their roster that have Arizona University ties right now? I hate the University of Arizona, David, so I refuse to answer the question. Sam? I'm not from Arizona, so I don't know shit. Is, um, <laughs> was, what team is Jared Bayless on these days? That can't be. Was, Ooh, was he on Toronto like 10 years ago, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just misremembering that? I think you might be right with that part of it, but this answer is Stanley Johnson and Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Oh. Ooh. Rondé Hollis Jefferson. By, by the way, by the way, David, real quick, uh, the fact that people wanted Rondé Hollis Jefferson on the Suns is a sign that we have a lot of homers. <laughs> Last but likely not least this season are the Utah Jazz, who of course gave us our brand new point guard in Ricky Rubio. But now onto the teams that do have ex Suns on their teams this oh, season. God. We have thirty guaranteed contracts around the league, plus five non-guaranteed NBA deals, and finally five summer. Oh, sorry, six summer prove-it type contracts for guys trying to make the final cut. Let's start with those summer deals. If I told you all six were on the Suns within the last two seasons, plus an extra number one pick who was recently waived, how many of those could you guess between you? And bonus points if you can tell me the team they're on. That's so hard. (laughs) That's so hard, David. I can give you. This is the thing. David's very mean, Sam. (laughs) I can give you. I can give you the one number one pick who was cut, who was on the Suns. But outside of that, I don't know who I can give you. Who's on the Suns in the past two seasons? Give us. Give us that one first, Sam. Okay, Anthony Bennett is easy. All right, I'll uh, give you that one. Now we've got. Five more to go, and one of them has been all over Twitter at the moment, playing on a very good team. Marquise Chris? That's number two. Oh my god, I should have gotten that. This is such a hard exercise. Okay, Tyler Ulis? What's he doing? Yes, he's on Sacramento. That's number three. Okay, okay, we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. The last three Um, are pretty hard. One of them was on our roster... I think at the end of last year and just changed summer deals actually from Atlanta to Houston when they cut Anthony Bennett. I've already repressed last year's roster. <laughs> <laughs> is uh Peter Peter Jock or whatever that guy's name is? No, he's so? not. Where did a race balding sign? He signed with Houston, didn't he? There's four. That's the one I was looking for. Oh, wow. And I'll give you the last two. We've got Devon Reed currently sitting in Miami, and Eric Morland (laughs) is sitting in Oklahoma City. Wow. Now, I won't test you on the non-guarantees, but for those five, we have Shaq Harrison in Chicago, Ryan Anderson in Houston, 
Dragon Bender in Milwaukee, Jordan McRae in Washington, and the oldest ex-son of them all, Joe Johnson in <laughs> Detroit. I won't spend the next 10 minutes listing the other 30 guaranteed guys, but last test for this episode. Which team do you think has the most guaranteed ex-sons playing overall on their team, guys? Oh, wow. Max, do you have a guess? <laughs> the most guaranteed ex-sons. Oh, man. No, I don't. I don't I can... have a guess at all. Miami has two. There has to be someone with more than that. There's someone with a lot more, hilariously. What? Who? Can you his hand, David? Uh, they've come up a couple of times in answers so far. They have. Some of our favorite ex, or one of our favorite ex-sons is definitely on this team. Houston? Yes, the Houston Rockets have seven total oh ex-Phoenix sons on their team. That is a lot. <laughs> There's the previously mentioned Ryan Anderson, plus PJ Tucker, plus Daniel House. They have they have Ryan Anderson back. Wow, I forgot plus about that. Plus Austin Rivers, <laughs> plus Gerald Green, and also Tyson Chandler. And also, uh, James Harden apparently was almost an ex-son, uh, because Ryan McDonough now says that everybody good in the league is exes. <laughs> <laughs> but plus they have Mike D'Antoni leading the charge, and until very recently, as I mentioned, Anthony Bennett was on there too, but replaced by Ray Spaulding. Not a test, and it's a pretty sorry bunch to choose from, guys, but who's your favorite ex-son currently still in the league? Sam, you first. Come on, it's PJ Tucker. Max? My favorite. I mean, Sam stole the good one. It's got to be. Come on. It is PJ Tucker. I love, fuck, everyone loves PJ Tucker. Yeah. How can you hate PJ Tucker? You know, David, great job with the research here. I just got to say, whenever I listen to an episode from you guys, I'm, I'm always listening to this segment and I'm thinking, oh, wow, I could easily get those. That doesn't seem that hard at all. <laughs> and then you guys actually put me on the spot and this is really fucking hard. So great, great job with the questions. It's way harder. Some other of my favorites, uh, Melton, of course, in Memphis, Dragic in Miami, uh, Robin Lopez, who's now in Milwaukee, and Ish Smith is in Washington. But finishing up now, we're, of course, at episode 64 for anyone listening along as we go here. If we added the 41 ex-Suns around the league to the current Suns roster of 19, we get to 60 players who have worn the Suns colors in the NBA. But then there are also four guys still in the league who were technically drafted with the Suns pick in the first round and therefore wore the purple and orange cap on draft night, which brings us, of course, to our magic number of 64 for this episode. So I'll leave you with this and the listeners, guys. With those four, before we move on, there was Jarrett Culver for Minnesota this year, as I mentioned before, and a photo that might haunt me forever. Zaire Smith, Philadelphia, drafted last year and traded for Mikael Bridges. Scal Labissiere in Portland, drafted in 2016 and traded in a deal included two other ex-sons, Marquise Chris and Bogdan Bogdanovic. And finally, for the fourth and final player, you have to go all the way back to 10 years earlier where Rajon Rondo, who's currently with the Lakers, was drafted and traded by the Suns. And guess what, Max? Rondo was traded with Bryant Grant for a future first-round pick. That pick became Rudy Fernandez, who was traded again (laughs) with another Suns player just for cash. And that other player in that trade, current Phoenix Suns GM... James Jones, wow. which is a great spot for us to end. And Sam, Max. jump in and say what you were going to say, and then we'll move I'm on. S- I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say, Max, and you know who gets gets credit for drafting Rajan Rondo for Boston back in 2007? Ryan McDonough. <laughs> it's Ryan McDonough. 
And it was one of the reasons that Ryan McDonough was hired and everyone was so excited in 2013 in Phoenix. Ryan McDonough gets credit for a lot of good things that he did, right? What about all the things that didn't go so well? <laughs> Ryan, you don't bring those up in the interviews, do you? <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and move on from Ryan McDonough bashing to Suns Awards. We're going to start with Suns Awards. So we're going to do both Suns and League-Wide Awards. Yep. Uh, we modified some of the Suns Awards because not all the League-Wide Awards make sense for the Suns. And the first two are good examples of that. So we're going to start with Executive of the Year, which is not Ryan McDonough. <laughs> uh, and for the Suns, really, it makes no sense to have anybody be it. We're going to do instead the best transaction the Suns had last summer, uh, looking at it in hindsight next summer. So basically, at the end of this year, what transaction from the last summer will, will look the best? Uh, let's go with our guest first, Sam. What do you think? Which transaction will look the best in hindsight? Well, Max, does choosing to not re-sign Jamal Crawford as the 15th man count? <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I'm in. That sounds good to me. Uh, in all seriousness, if I can't choose that, um, I don't know. I'm probably going to go with the Ty Jerome Baines trade, and I'm not doing that because, like, obviously that's... Okay, first of all, I'm doing that because, like, I don't want it to be boring and for everyone to pick Rubio or whatever, you know? But I don't think this is going to be the move that makes the most cumulative impact but I think it has a really good chance to be the move that has the best, um, uh, most positive return on investment, basically, because it's it's a good balance. Like, you know what you're getting with Aaron Baines as a backup. I do like, I'll be honest, I like Rashawn Holmes as a player more than I like Aaron Baines. Sorry, guys. But, but I think Aaron Baines is a very worthy replacement. I still think he's an above replacement level player and a good mentor for DeAndre Ayton. More importantly than that, the Milwaukee pick they got rid of is, is basically worthless, and I think Ty Jerome has a very good chance to outperform his draft pick position by a good amount. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a top five, top ten rookie in this class, uh, but I think he will rise up the ranks pretty quickly. I think he's going to play a good amount of minutes, potentially as the primary backup point guard for the Suns this season. And I think if that happens, we're going to look back at this trade uh, very fondly next summer. David. Uh, I am doubling down, and I've got a feeling we're all going to have the same answer for this one, Max, unless you throw a curveball, but uh, I'm riding the Baines thing all the way, for better or worse. Maybe it's hope more than anything, but I think at the end of the year, if we give it time, I think Baines will be looked at as one of the uh, best acquisitions that we made, not only for his play on the court, and as Sam Sam rightly mentions, uh, Rashawn Holmes uh, can definitely match it with him on the court, if not then some, but for the role uh, that he plays as hopefully Aiton's mentor and hopefully what we see in growth in in Aiton, Baines should get some uh, respect for that as well. So I'm going with that one too, Max. I guess I am throwing a curveball here. Ooh. I I mean, yeah, personally, yes, I think that's the right answer. I think this more as like what what is going to be the consensus. And uh, I think it's going to be Rubio. Yeah. Uh, I think people are going to be like, oh, yeah, they did need a point guard this whole time. And so the whole, you know, three years, $52 million is going to look less like an overpay. In fact, it'll probably look like, you know, what the Suns should have done, which is what they should have done, get a good point guard in. <laughs> uh, I think not only will this be kind of like the Suns fans' consensus, I think it'll probably be the general NBA consensus that, uh, yeah, the Suns needed a point guard, and they're going to have win 30-plus games, and it's going to be because they have Ricky Rubio 
on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's, yeah. When we get like two national TV games all year, like that's going to be the one talking point <laughs> about the Suns all game long. It's going to be like, <laughs> get a load of this guy, Ricky Rubio. The Suns needed a point guard. And now lo and behold, they found him. Like that's just what the national media is going to be talking about. So definitely you're right, Max. Like that's going to be the thing. They're, you're actually wrong, Sam. They gave us, I think, one TNT game and it's against Zion. <gasps> so they're going to talk about Zion. Talk about. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go on to Kobe. Coach of the year, which because we only have one coach, we're going to turn it into what is the general impression going to be, or not general, it could be your impression or general impression of Monty Williams going to be at the end of the year. David, we'll let you go the first this time. I mean, everyone's kind of raved about Monty already, so I think general impression-wise, everyone's going to be, you know, just swooning over his uh, commanding of the locker room by the end of the year. But my answer in particular, I think he's on a bit of a mission to prove that he's modernized as a coach since his last stint. Uh, The preseason has shown, you know, some pretty funky lineups. So I think when it gets to the end of the season, we're going to think about Monty, uh, you know, as a guy who uh, is willing to throw some pretty crazy lineups out there. The roster construction almost requires it at the moment, which we've kind of gone over this whole episode. So that's kind of my, I think, what my lasting impression of season one with Monty might be at the end of the year is that we might actually have a modern coach on our hands. And thank God, because uh, he's signed up for another four years after that, Max. Yeah, makes sense to me. Sam? I echo that 100%, David. I think Monty is going to be applauded for trying to modernize, trying to adapt to his personnel, because that's what a good coach does. You know, you take the pieces that you're given, and you don't try to pigeonhole them into a specific system that maybe doesn't work. So I think, you know, I'd like to believe Monty, they're going to play faster and shoot more threes than any of his New Orleans teams. That doesn't mean he's guaranteed to find success. Uh, but I do think he's going to at least be applauded for trying. Yeah, generally agree. There'll be a very strong honeymoon feeling because they're you know they're not going to suck for the first time in what five years. Hopefully, I think that the general consensus will be you, you know year two is the big year. Uh, he he was good. He made the team better, and uh, we'll see in year two. At least that'll be my consensus. I mean, I hate coaches, so I'll probably complain a lot. <laughs> but most people will be like, all right, let's go year two. Uh, all right, let's go to sixth man of the year. This is an interesting one, Sam. What do you think? Who's going to be the sixth man of the year for the Suns? I'm going to go under the assumption that Kelly Oubre starts, so I'm going to say it's Mikhail Bridges. Who's the sixth most valuable? I mean, he's not even the sixth most valuable, but if he doesn't start, who's the most valuable player off that bench? It's Mikhail Bridges. He's not a traditional sixth man. I think Tyler Johnson's the type of player who could score 15 points off the bench uh, if he wanted to, but Mikhail is obviously the most valuable guy. I'm going with Mikhail. Same answer here, David. You got a different one? Uh, I'm going Ubre, and I think it's more hopeful with like my, my Bane's answer here, uh, and it's that he leans into that role after being given it uh, and leads the second unit. I think it would be perfect, uh, but again, I'm probably being more hopeful than realistic with that one, Max. So basically, we all love Mikel. Uh, rookie of the year. I'll start by saying Ty Jerome. Everyone knows I'm going to say that, so I'll spoil it now. David, go ahead. Uh, I went Cam. I think it's a choice in two, obviously. Uh, Tiger Rome, I thought was going to be your answer there, Max. But I think Cam's going to get more chances uh, and probably look better as the season goes on uh, than Ty. Although, you know, I hope both of them look great and it's a real race for the Rookie of the Year for the Suns. It's going to be Tiger Rome. (laughs) It's going to be Tiger Rome. I like. I got to agree with you, Max. I love Cam. Uh, I hope Cam finds a way to play. But the opportunity is there for Ty, and he's going to take advantage. They do need him more. That does kind of help him be more of the rookie of the year for the Suns. But 
Yeah, I see you too, David. It's going to be interesting. I think both of them will play roles. We'll see. Yeah. Most improved player. This is an interesting one, Sam. What do you think? Um, for improved player, I had to look to see what I had written down before. I'm going Mikhail Bridges. Uh, and the reason I'm laughing is because I think I may have answered Mikhail Bridges for a lot of a lot of categories <laughs> here. But yeah, Mikhail yes. uh, is the guy who worked all summer long. I forget. I wish I could credit whichever reporter it was. It may have been Dwayne Rankin who asked him uh, about specifically what he was doing over the summer, and he said, I went home for one week to the Jersey Shore for a vacation. But other than that, he was in Phoenix working on his game. Um, and I think he looks a little bit bigger. I think he added some muscle to his frame. Uh, his shot doesn't look substantially different. We've already talked about that, and that will limit, I think, the ability for you to like really run more plays for him on offense. Like He's still not a guy who can necessarily catch and shoot uh, quickly in contested situations but i think he's going to get a spot up opportunities i think he's going to continue to be an amazing defender uh and i think hopefully he that work ethic pays off and he's the most improved player david this is a no-brainer for me uh everything that sam just said is something that i agree with i'm not really known for my out there uh takes on this podcast max but I would put my house on Mikhail Bridges being the most improved player. I think he is going to take a massive leap this year, and I am all in on him for both this award and probably the next one that we're going to discuss. So let us know your answer instead, Max. I actually have a different answer. Ooh. This is interesting. I, I, I don't disagree with you guys that Mikhail Bridges is going to be improved. I, I love Mikhael Bridges. I think he's be awesome. Uh, and I, I didn't pick a Suns player, you know, both years. I picked one who wasn't on the Suns last year. I think Rick Rubio is going to be considered the most improved player on the team. Mm. I just think that he's going to have uh, more freedom in the Phoenix Suns system to do more things. I think, I, here's what I'll say. You know, maybe Mikel Bridges will actually be more improved by percentage of how he was last year to next year. Yep. I think the, the NBA intelligentsia will see Ricky Rubio at a higher level uh, more than they saw anybody else you know, compared to where they were last year because Rubio just wasn't allowed to be Rubio in Utah, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think uh, at the beginning of the Minnesota game, at least, Monty Williams showed that Ricky Rubio will be allowed to be Ricky Rubio. Uh, let's go on to Defensive Player of the Year for the Suns. There's not a lot of candidates because it's not a very good defensive team. <laughs> but I think, uh, David, you I'll go ahead and start with you because you kind of alluded to who you're going to pick anyway. Who do you have? Defensive player of the year. I have Mikael Bridges, and I really just have one question for you both. Uh, either of you uh, differing on your answer than that? Not close. Not unless I want it to be contrarian now. <laughs> All right, so instead, who's the second best defender on this team? Oh, God. Javon Carter, baby. <laughs> it might be. Yeah, that would be the right answer, actually. Uh, I don't know. It's such a good question. I think Kelly Oubre when he on ball probably, but he's just he gets so many laughs off ball. I don't know, man. That's really hard. It's really not a second best. <laughs> and we should probably talk about Oubre, you know, talking up his defensive acumen and wanting to be a you know all all defense NBA type player. And I think he may have even mentioned being defensive player of the year in a few years. <laughs> he so did. He uh, did. he'd want to be the best defender on this team if that's his goal. But I think Mikhail's going to get all the big assignments. You know, we saw him give fits to Bogdan last night, and I think that's going to be his role. Um, hopefully in the starting lineup, I think, uh, for this team, is they're going to pick the guy. And that's probably something else we should quickly touch on, is they've been quite creative in who they put Rubio and Booker on, I think, depending on what the matchups are, which is great to see. They're not sticking to traditional positions here. So, yeah, it's Mikhail, 
Uh, and I think everyone listening should have a think about who the second best defender is because I think it says a lot about how this team is going to be overall defensively, guys. Uber is the best politician of the team. <laughs> yes. Say that? He's the one who would get elected the best. For sure. Very, very easily. Oh, for sure. Uh, all right. So we're going to go to MVP now. We're going to go too deep yep. here. Actually, let's go three deep. I didn't prepare you guys for this. Let's go three deep for MVP. <laughs> we'll, start with, we'll start with number one. Uh, is anyone going to go not Devin Booker? No. No. I mean, he's obviously the best player. That That's easy. Uh, number two, I, I, I did Ricky Rubio. What do you guys think? Is Ricky Rubio the obvious number two or is there another, another answer here? Wow. I went with you on that. And before people yell at both of us, Max, I think my theory based on this is if Aiton is the second best player on the team by the end of the year, I think you can go ahead and give the second most valuable player to Ricky Rubio. That's my theory with why I've answered mm. Ricky Rubio on this one. Sam, what do you think? Well, I, I probably would be inclined to go with DeAndre Ayton, but I, I mean, can, can you guys argue in favor of Ruby? I just don't quite see it. Like, how, how'd you get there? You know, the guard play matters so much for this team. They just need stability so much. If you're just using the word value as the answer, it's kind of the it's kind of the Steve Nash mid two thousands case over guys with better stats case. Right. They just need him more than DeAndre Ayton. I mean, DeAndre Ayton is probably going to be better in, in you know in kind of the abstract but you know if, if you don't have rubio or booker on the floor what really do you have yeah and i i see that i guess the complicated thing about ricky that we just don't it's frustrating we just don't have an answer for it yet is uh is he going to be like he was with the jazz or with minnesota and you were alluding to it before max uh which is why i'm bringing it up again now that you think he's going to be used more like he was in minnesota uh, based on you know, his his playing those first two preseason games, but I just I'm not convinced of it yet. So I I guess like if we fast forward a couple of weeks and we're we're five or ten games through the regular season, it really looks like Rubio's usage rate is creeping back up and he's going to be staggered with uh, Booker. Then yes, absolutely, I could see a really clear argument for him being number two. Otherwise, uh, me personally, I'll probably default to DeAndre Ayton for now. I do want to clarify my take on that. I I thought that before the preseason games. I just kind of thought that's kind of the reason why the Suns signed him. And I like the way the, the way James Jones commented about Ricky Rubio's World Cup performance, which I think is kind of what I saw for Rubio on the Suns. Maybe think that James Jones felt the same way. So the fact that Ricky Rubio looked that way early in the Minnesota game was nice confirmation bias for me. <laughs> uh, but I kind of just generally thought that's kind of why they paid him so much. I, I, I don't think you give Ricky Rubio... That kind of contract, if you don't want to use him more than the way that Utah, I don't know. Was using Argu- him. But uh, arguably, they were about to give that contract to Terry Rozier instead. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> we don't, we don't talk about that in this podcast. That's banned, Sam. We don't talk <laughs> no, about I'm that. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but never invited back. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and throw in uh, Aiton for third. I mean, Aiton's got to be third. Uh, if Aiton's not third or second, it's a problem, David. Yep, and I am glad that you've thrown the third in here because it uh, allows me to throw Aiton in too. I think it's very clear. I just wanted to make the point that uh, if we see a big year from Aiton, a, a lot of it will be to do with the addition of Ricky Rubio, hopefully. So, True. Um, but yeah, I think Aiton should be the second best player on this team by the end of the year. Uh, and there's an argument that he needs to be the best on the team for it to be a contender in the future in the NBA. But Sam, uh, did, would you go Rubio for third or would you throw somebody else in there? <laughs> no, come on. I'll, I'll go Rubio <laughs> third. Uh, but I will say there's like there's like a slight chance 
First of all, if Rubio's not third, that's a problem. That's definitely a problem. Yes. Because then we're thrown back into the, like, yep. who is a good point guard on this team. You know, it yep. might as well have Shaq Harrison and Isaiah Kanan at that point. But there's, like, a slight chance that it's Dario. Uh, I guess you could just say I have that much faith in Dario that he could, like, potentially... If if Dario plays at his second-year level with Philly, he was really good. Yeah. Um, and so there is a chance there. Extremely slight. That's, like, uh, like 200 in the periodic table slight in terms of mass. Uh, I guess that joke doesn't work. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Ty Jerome could be number one, number one league wide award. So executive of the year. Uh, let's start with Sam. Who do you think this is league wide? By the way, league wide, we're not Suns anymore. This is the whole league. Yeah. Who do you think is gonna win, or who do you want to win executive of the year? Whatever you want to say. I think it would be pretty funny uh, and, and pretty cool if David Griffin won. <laughs> In his first year, mm, I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's gonna happen because okay, so who wins Executive of the Year, right? We, we have to ponder, like you're a voter, right? You've been given that privilege to vote for Executive of the Year. Are you voting for the executive who just put together a sixty win team, or are you voting for an executive who put together a surprising team? And they don't necessarily have to have won sixty games, but maybe they were projected to win thirty and they won forty five instead, which is potentially what the Pelicans could be. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would open that to you guys first. Like, how how would you anticipate viewing this? I didn't think of the Pelicans, and I think it's a really good answer. I think it's a great one to throw up. I think it'll be the popular choice. Uh, I am glad you've brought up this kind of background to why people vote for certain awards, because it's something that I've always been a bit nerdy about, uh, and probably uh, alludes to to my answer. Here. I actually think Daryl Morey will be Executive of the Year mm. because a Houston will be a pretty good regular season team and I think the NBA tends to look out for their own we kind of saw that with Dwayne Casey winning coach of the year the year that he got fired in Toronto and with the China stuff not that we're getting involved in the China stuff here Max (laughs) I think it'll be a support vote uh, and everyone will vote for Daryl Morey after the Houston Rockets win 60 games again this season. Uh, can I change my answer to David's answer? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's really, no, that's really interesting. That's that's really interesting. That would actually be like a fun vote. Like That'd be a cool statement. That for the first time ever, executive of the year would be a relevant thing. Uh, but I, man, I really like your answer too, Sam. I actually like that better than my answer. I said Sean Marks just because I like the way Brooklyn has, you know, dragged themselves out of the gutter. Yeah. Only issue there is Kevin Durant won't play probably this season, or at least not until late in the season. So maybe they don't, you know, look that great. But I, I think in terms of what, you know, what well, who has shaped their team uh, better towards where they were, towards they are now, Sean Marks, I think, has done the best job. I'm surprised no one said the Clippers guys, though. Uh, Jerry West or, yeah. The, the Clippers would have been my other pick, honestly, before I went with David Griffin, but then I decided to go with slightly more interesting answer, but I think they've got a super great chance. Yeah, I, they, generally the NBA teams tend to default to the guys who just got the most good players. Uh, let's go to Coach of the Year. This is kind of an interesting one because we've sort of been a wide-open race. Uh, David, let's go to you first. This is where I get to the Clippers. I'm going Doc Rivers. Mm. He was second last year and probably did the best job with what he had. So I reckon the narrative again, now that he has the pieces and they'll probably make a big jump in the win column, I think he's going to have an easy case for Coach of the Year. Sam. 
You know what's crazy to me about Doc Rivers, just as a side note, is that he never won Coach of the Year coaching Boston, mm. but he has won Coach of the Year before 20 years ago on a 500 team with Orlando. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> like that was that was just because I was looking it up. I was like, you know, who could even potentially win this award? There's no voter fatigue for Doc because he hasn't won in 20 years. So I think that's a great answer, uh, David. And and similarly, like I think. Honestly, I think Steve Kerr even has a shot here as like another. Yep. He's not my number one choice, but mm. the Warriors, you could argue for the first time in forever, are going through adversity. So if they actually position themselves to win another chip, then I think I, I could see him actually being credited there for the way that he manages that team, especially the first two thirds of the season until Clay comes back. Uh, but I would go with, and I think Suns fans are probably going to hate this, but like Quinn Snyder, right? I think he is a young and up and coming coach who really has a shot depending on how Utah does. Like Utah got better this year. Uh, and, and I think potentially Suns fans are underrating them. And I don't even say that because of Donovan Mitchell. I don't have a ton of faith in Donovan Mitchell, but I think the pieces around him are good enough at this point. And Quinn Snyder has proved himself as a coach that if Utah wins 55 games, which I think is a sincere possibility, yeah. uh, he'll be right there in the conversation. Yeah, that's, really, that, that's a really good one. Uh, Utah's going to be good. I went with, and this is based not really on this person himself, uh, although Suns fans know him very well. It's more on the fact that I think the team's going to be extremely good, and he's going to get a lot of credit for uh, helping personalities, uh, you know, work with each other and games mesh. It's it's Mike D'Antoni for me. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think Houston's going to have by far the best record in the regular season, like by a lot, uh, because they're just going to crush bad teams. Because you really, you know, bad teams can't go against staggered Westbrook and Harden. It's impossible. Uh, so there's going to be a ton of games. Mike D'Antoni will get credit for letting those two guys, you know, do their thing, and then they'll lose in the playoffs, as usual. <laughs> uh, six Man of the Year award. I will start. I hope this guy is a six man. I think he is. Montrez Harrell is an incredible player, oh, and the Clippers are going to yeah. be really good. And I think he is going to get a lot of credit for the bench guy he comes off energy, awesome. Uh, so that's, that's me, Montrez Harrell. Uh, Sam, how about you? Just give it to Lou Williams again. Lou Williams wins this award every year. If Lou Williams wins again this year, he would be the all-time leader. It would be his fourth win, and he would pass Jamal Crawford. Uh, So so right there, just give it to Lou Williams. Game over, end of discussion, best six man of all time. Hey, Max, you know how we always come up with the same answers when we don't talk about things? Mm -hmm. Montrez (laughs) Harrell. So we all have Clippers. All Clippers. Third last year, Lou Will's another year older. Uh, I struggled to see a lot of other possible options here. And, you know, I think Montrez will be that kind of uh, perfect scenario where he's essentially a starter without actually being one. So he'll qualify, but he'll play a lot and feast with the Clippers starting lineup. It makes sense we all took Clippers. It does. It does make sense because they're a team with so much depth. But I was going to say there's always someone who breaks out. Yes. Is Fre- Fred Van Vliet still coming yeah. off the bench, right? Or is he going to be starting this year? Uh, Lowry got extended, so I think he's still going to be on the bench. Like that's like yeah, that's like a possibility. But there's there's always people who will just break out of nowhere, yeah. and it's just impossible to anticipate with this award. Yeah, it's a hard award to anticipate, other than a scoring guard, which is yeah. You you picked, and we picked somebody who never wins it. So David, you probably <laughs> lost. Uh, all right, most improved player. I think this was the easiest award to pick on the entire board. Um, usually it's the hardest. I think it was the easiest this year. I'm going to let David start and see if he can predict my answer. Uh, I don't think I'm going to predict your answer, but I'm going to double down because I was robbed during injury last season, and I am mm. going Karis Levert again, Max. Oh, Yes, you had him last year. He would have probably won it if he didn't get hurt, uh, and you were robbed. Yep. Sam? 
Mine's a bit of a weird answer, but it's just speaking with my heart. I am going someone on the Orlando Magic. <laughs> now, that's not a particularly fair answer, but I, I feel a lot of camaraderie with Orlando these days as I think there are some similarities between these two franchises, and I think they've got a lot of players on that roster uh, who could have some success this season. How great of a story would it be if Markel Fultz actually takes that starting point guard spot and looks serviceable? Like, for a guy with the lofty expectations of a number one overall pick, I think that's a sincere possibility that he would get votes for that. I think Jonathan Isaac could have a big breakout year, and, like, typically this award goes to someone in, like, somewhere between their third and fifth season. So I think think he definitely has a chance, because I think he showed some real good flashes on both ends of the ball towards the end of last season. I I think he could still break out. Um, The other big guy is just Aaron Gordon. Like, Aaron Gordon just turned 24 years old this month. Wow. So, you know, it, it, like, and I know, I, I think that might be one where kind of that's thrown out as Aaron Gordon's going to be the most improved player every year, but this might eventually finally be the year. Who knows? There's so many Suns fans that are, are nodding along saying uh, <laughs> most improved Aaron Gordon on the Phoenix Suns after yeah. they trade for <laughs> I him. I wonder but, why they uh, feel that way. I can't even imagine. <laughs> it's, it's impossible to figure out. I was already rooting for Markel Fultz, Max, but after Sam's answer here, I'm going to be rooting even harder for Markel Fultz because if he won most improved, that would just be the best story in the NBA. Well, my answer is someone who's less sympathetic, especially his father. He went number two after Markel Fultz. Ooh. I think Lonzo Ball is going to run away with this reward. Uh, he, his three-point shot actually looks legitimate. He's going to be playing on a super fun team. He has Zion freaking Williamson on his team now in transition. I think Lonzo is going to be uh, near all-star consideration and the obvious runaway most improved player. Love that runner. answer. That is a great one. That's a great answer. Yeah. Going to Rookie of the Year. So I kind of just touched on Zion Williamson, David. Should we not talk about Zion Williamson? Oh, wait, before, you, before we get into this, yeah, Z- I, think- I don't know if you saw the box score tonight. I just looked it up. Zion tonight in preseason, preseason against Utah, uh, had 26 points, 5 rebounds, and f- an assist on 9 of 12 shooting. Wow. Just give him the Rookie of the Year now. Did he shoot any from outside? Because otherwise I'm going with R.J. Barrett. He had one of one three-pointers. One I of saw one him three hit that three. It, it, he took it <laughs> and it, it went in. I can can confirm that that happened. But, uh, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head here. He is, as long as he plays, I think he's going to be the Rookie of the Year. I think even if he's somehow not deserving of it, I think just media hype and narrative-wise, he's going to win it anyway. So I think uh, maybe we should just throw out who comes second to Zion Williamson for Rookie of the Year. Sam, you got any any opinion on that? Well, for shits and giggles, like I looked up the Rookie of the Year odds in Vegas currently. Yep. Who do you... <laughs> I, okay, so I guess I'll give my answer first. Like, John ja Morant, <laughs> right, is the is the natural choice. Yep. Um, I don't think anyone else here is an obvious choice. Sure. Uh, and so I'll leave it at that. I'll get back to the other thing in a minute. Max? Um, You know, I, I agree, obviously. I think Jared Culver looked pretty good in his first game. I think his team is going to be kind of good, but not have a lot of other options. So, Dave, this is for you. Jared Culver may be a dark horse? Uh, he'd probably be my next answer behind Ja Morant because, yeah, they're playing him a lot as almost like a pseudo point guard, which I think suits him down to the ground and why I wanted him in Phoenix colors, Max. And I'm going to stop there yeah. before I start crying. So, Sam, give us the <laughs> odds, please. Who did – Who did? It, the actual odds are so minuscule it doesn't even matter. But who do you think is fourth and fifth oh, God. for best odds of this rookie class? So it's after – is it RJ and Ja? Uh, yeah, it's after Ja and RJ. Okay. And it's, Kobe, it's minuscule. Kobe White? Fourth is Darius Garland. 
Wow. No. No and, way. And and fifth is Michael Porter Jr. Ooh. Uh, so. So I, I think Vegas has no fucking clue what's going on with this rookie, rookie class. I, I think it's just assumed that this is Zion's award to lose. And, real, real quick before uh, we move on, I want to ask you guys. Uh, I'll start with Sam. How good? What like so? How, what level of player is Zion going to be this year? Like, if you had to rank him in the NBA, what do you think he's going to be? Is he like wow. the tenth best player? Is he the twentieth best player? How good is he? Is this I season? think he's probably right at reserve All Star status which is like 20, let's say 24th, 25th best player in the NBA. Okay. David? I'm really bad at these things, to be perfectly honest, but I would I'd agree with Sam. I, I'd say top 30, I think, is going to be probably pretty easy for Zion. I think he's making the All-Star game. He's ridiculous, man. Well, he people don't just dominate. Even his preseason, he's still dominating these yeah. games. I mean, he could make the All Star game just because of the fan vote too, <laughs> right? Where we're going to see an unprecedented true, true. level <laughs> yes, of support for this guy. Whether he breaks his knee uh, or or tears his ACL in, in game five, he's getting voted into that game uh, somehow. It would be my prediction. All right, I'll ch- let me let me clarify. I think he'll deserve to be an All Star. I think he's top twenty right away. He, he blows my mind. Yeah, I think he'll deserve it, too. Uh, okay, let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. We're each going to have three of these. Uh, I'll go first. You know, I haven't gone first very often. Do it. I think, I think Draymond's third. I think he'll get credit for being the only defensive player in his team. I don't think he'll be like the, uh, you know, as good as he's been in the past, but he'll be good. I, I'll put Giannis uh, number two. Uh, I think Giannis is a great defender, obviously. Not hard to explain. And then, really, the, the one that I think is key, I think Anthony Davis is the narrative all behind him. I think Andy Davis is going to have uh, his best defensive season. And, 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 you know, he's in the Lakers machine now. They're going to want to give him something. I have Anthony Davis winning Defensive Player of the Year. Sam? So I fucked this one up. You, I didn't realize that I was supposed to pick three. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. Okay, can I just give my number one choice? Yep. Yes. Well, oh, first of all, I think your choices are all good, Max. Like Giannis well, definitely you. makes thank sense. You, <laughs> yeah, I want to validate your opinions first. Uh, because they're good opinions. Uh, and Anthony Davis has a shot too. Uh, but I think probably it's still Rudy Gobert for me. Like just if I was talking about the Jazz getting better before, I think they're a better offensive team and will be just as good defensively. Uh, and replacing Rubio, look, I love Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio. But replacing replacing him with Mike Conley and then also adding Boyan Bogdanovich to replace Jay Crowder. Uh, the Jazz are going to be better offensively, and it puts Rudy Gobert in a really unique situation where he's like one of the few guys in the NBA, I feel like, who really just gets to be elite at defense, and no one gives a shit what else you do besides that. I mean, dunk the ball, sure, have a high true shooting percentage, but, you know, set screens and whatever. But, like, defensively, he's going to be a menace again. Uh, and I don't think the voter fatigue is there yet for him, you know, that, like, if the Jazz are good again, I think he'll win it again. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good pick. I have him second purely because of voter fatigue, so that's going to be really interesting to see, Sam. I think you make a good point. If they're even better this year and he's even more defined in that role, then he probably will be deserving. Uh, I'm going to throw Joel Embiid in the conversation. I think he's going to have a monster year defensively. Uh, And from the moment that I wrote this down, I've doubted it more and more ever since, and I definitely am doubting it as it's coming out of my mouth. But I think the Clippers are going to be the best defensive team in the league. And therefore, 
You could throw a blanket over him, but I think the best defensive player on that team is Kawhi. Now, whether votes get stolen off him from PG and Beverly, right. uh, or people just don't vote for him because people just see them as a great defensive unit, but generally, you know, the top defenses are throwing up guys uh, high in the voting for this award. So, um, yeah, I don't. I'm not very confident on it, but I'm going to go with Kawhi Leonard. I love it. He's like finally where he wants to be, and they're trying really, really hard. I love it. That's a great one, David. Good one. Uh, all right, let's go to MVP. Uh, Sam, did you prepare three answers for this one? <laughs> yes, I have three for this one. <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's hear them. Okay, number three, I'm going to go with Kawhi. Look, I think there's a real argument that Kawhi is the best player in the NBA at this point. At least he's top two or three for sure. Um, and so, again, it's just about not getting votes stolen from you and, and how much he can separate himself from PG. Yeah. But I think he's right up there. So so he's number three. Number two, I'm going with Steph Curry, actually. Mm. Uh, and I think, this is, I think this is the resurgent year for Steph Curry. Like, if the Warriors win 50-plus games, like, they probably need at least 52, 53 wins yeah. uh, for Curry to really get strong nods for MVP. But just, again, the narrative of KD leaving you and Clay missing 50-plus games. And honestly, people have been kind of down to an extent on Draymond in a, uh, for a while. So I think Curry is a really good shot, um, or at least an outside shot. Uh, and then number one, it's just hard to deny Giannis because he's going to once again have a really strong chance to be the best player on the best team. Uh, and I don't. I think Philly's going to be really good, but I think they're Milwaukee's only competition in the Eastern Conference. So as long as Milwaukee can can kind of coast to that number one or number two seed, uh, it's always you know a player on one of those four or five best teams that wins MVP, and Giannis will be one of those guys. Max, why don't you go next? Oh, I'll go next. Uh, my actually is is fairly similar. So I had Anthony Davis number three, based on the Defensive Player of the Year thing. Lakers will be fine. Uh, he'll he'll get there. Mm-hmm. So I have Giannis number two. I agree with everything that Sam said. I think Giannis is going to be incredible, probably even better than last year. Uh, it's just it's hard to win back to back. You really have to earn back to back with the narrative uh, factor into it. Yeah. Uh, so I have Sam's number two as, as my number one. I think Steph Curry will reestablish himself as, if not the best player in the NBA, up there. The Warriors will completely depend on him for the first time in a while. I think Steph Curry leads the league in scoring fairly easily. I think we get like a 34 points a game sort of effort from Steph Curry, something like that. Uh, I think I think we're all going to be kind of like falling in love again with Steph Curry, you know? Because like once, once Kevin Durant went there again, it, was, it wasn't fun. But remember when Steph Curry was fun? He was the most fun player in the league? <laughs> yeah. I think he's going to be the most fun player in the yeah. league again. I think the narrative of that, like everyone's excited to root for Steph Curry again. I think it's going to be... Uh, that that kind of carries him to uh, one more MVP. David? Curry's the fun answer here that everyone should be for be rooting for for general NBA fans, but uh, I'm going back to Harden for a bit of a sympathy vote here. Mm. Uh, I'll throw Joel Embiid in again. I, again, predicting that he's going to have a monster year sandwiched in between Giannis, who takes a little bit of a backseat as maybe Milwaukee take a bit of a small step back or you know a bit of voter pushback potentially after winning it last year. So that is my top three, Max. Yeah, it all makes sense to me. Okay, question, guys. Yep. How many threes does Ben Simmons uh, need to hit to win MVP? <laughs> I mean, probably only one, judging by the way Twitter reacted to it, the preseason one. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that most improved validation? If if he hits like three threes, is that you know qualify him for the most improved award? If he makes no other improvement to his game but makes one three per game, then quite frankly, like that's probably enough. Right? True. Like if he if he shoots if he shoots like thirty three percent from three on one attempt per game, that's 
give him the most improved at that point, honestly. Because, like, you were already so good, and that was the one thing that people just relentlessly shit on you for, yeah. and you fixed it. Props to you, man. Just give the award. Ben Simmons like a Make-A-Wish kid, or, like, Markel Fultz. Like, he's really damn good at basketball, right? Like, it's, you don't have to freak out if he makes a shot from slightly more feet than he shoots from before. It's fine. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and move on to seven seconds or less, the segment where one of us, or in this case, all three of us ask the other... One question for which the others have seven seconds or less to answer and have not prepared. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first this time. Mm-hmm. We'll start with David. What's the biggest thing you've changed your mind about after seeing the first two preseason games for the Suns? Well, the biggest thing I've changed my mind about on this podcast is actually changing my seven seconds or less question, which we'll get to in a minute, Max. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, but the biggest thing that I've changed my mind on after the first two uh Mikael starting, mm. you know, I was pretty strong all off season about Kelly having to start because of this contract. And despite what my personal opinion was, you know, I just think that it was going to be the done thing. But I think as long as Mikael, you know, increases his health and plays more and more minutes over the next two preseason games and, and the rest of practice before the season starts, I think he is going to just make the uh, choice too easy for them to make. So that's my answer. Sam? Uh, I think it's the Rubio-Booker-Stagger conversation that we kind of talked about at the very beginning of this episode, is I was not convinced that it needed to be a thing, and now I am. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I still want them to play together in spurts, obviously, but I think it would be a really good experiment for Monty. Mine's Cam Johnson's playing time. I think he's going to play more. He showed me that he can actually hold up on defense a little bit, so I think it would be easier to get him out there uh, earlier rather than later. Uh, Who wants to go next, David? Yeah, I'll go next because I hate the question that i written down. So <laughs> after our discussion throughout this podcast, I'm not known for changing things up too much, Max, as you know. But uh, I'm going to change it up here, throw a very spicy one at the two of you and probably get you in trouble. Uh, who is the first person out of Booker, Aiton and Mikhail Bridges to not be on the Phoenix Suns? Oh my god. Oof. Uh you Sam, you wanna go first? <laughs> you know it's funny, Matt Matt Moore came on our podcast like a few weeks ago and that was yep. the most shock I don't know if you heard it, but like that was the most shocking thing he said to us is he was like, I look at those three guys and I don't see one of them's not gonna be there in a few years. And it was kind of the first mm-hmm. time it hit me. I was like, Wait, what? Like one one of these guys <laughs> that I love so much might not be but it's really strong reality. Um, Mikhail Bridges. Yep. And um because I think the Suns have too much invested in DeAndre Ayton, and they could make a panic trade for an all-star, uh, at, at which point you would need to trade Mikhail Bridges yeah. at some point. Yeah, the panic trade for an all-star point is a good one, um, and it's almost more of an optimistic outlook that I'm going to have here, I guess. I think, I think if you have a Vegas odds in this, the most likely thing is probably Booker asking out yeah. early. And wanting a trade, Ooh. I, I I just think that's probably the most likely outcome. I I, I kind of think if this works, those three stay. So and, and so I'm I'm looking at a scenario where it doesn't work, and in the scenario where it doesn't work, I mean Booker's the one who's further along in his career. Uh, I, I'm not even sure Aiton has the gusto to ask for a trade. So <laughs> I'm gonna say, unfortunately, it's, it's probably Booker. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of different permutations with this question, which is why I love it. I think Sam, your answer as trading for an all-star is, is the perfect one and, and probably uh, the most likely to happen. But yeah, I, 
Not going to lie, Max, I, I thought about the, the Booker asking out scenario. And also, even though it's probably the, the slightest chance of happening, the Phoenix Suns, you know, realizing that Aiton's not quite the player that they thought he was and trying to uh, get value back for him before he tanks it. And please, nobody at me on Twitter for saying Could that. you imagine what would happen on Twitter if Aiton got traded? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, let's not even get into that. All right, Sam, Sam. All right, turn. I've got different Go different turn. questions for each of you guys. So I'm going to start with David. Okay. Uh, I did not take this seriously at all. <laughs> I'll let you know uh, ahead of time. That's what this segment's about. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I took it less seriously than David did. Jesus. First of all, to what extent... To what extent did uh, have you guys talked about that fantasy league, that Suns Twitter fantasy basketball league on your podcast? I assume zero. 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 Okay. Well, David, how many games will your all-white roster win in fantasy basketball this season? And can can you give us the explanation for coming up with the name of your team? Because I, I just want you to tell your <laughs> listeners about that. <laughs> Dave King, if you're listening, uh, turn off the podcast. So uh, everybody decided to have a little bit of fun with the fantasy league. I take fantasy very seriously. I enjoy it very much. And I am going to be trying to win with my somewhat flawed roster. However, I like to make fun of people who deserve to be made fun of, and I've gone with the Ashley Neville All-Stars and set myself the challenge for draft day of trying to get value at every pick with only white basketball players. And I think I did a pretty fucking good job, if I do say so myself. <laughs> so does Hitler. So does Hitler. <laughs> um, go, sorry, go ahead. Max, for you, it's a little bit more blunt. I just want to know. <laughs> who lets you make podcasts? I mean, really, who lets this guy <laughs> do a podcast is, is just what I want you to tell me. Uh, it's a great question. I don't know. I guess it's just the fact that I have enough money to buy a microphone. <laughs> I, I guess that's what, that's what it comes down to. Uh, it's listen, super easy. Listen, my fantasy team is, is not a reflection of, of how I value fantasy basketball players. It's a reflection of how I value fantasy basketball in general, which is very lowly. I think it's a stupid exercise, and I treated it. I treated it as such. Is my answer. I love Gene's answer. Shout out to Gene who listens to the pod. Uh, the people who listen to us let us make the podcast. That's true. Uh, and the people that listen to the timeline, of which many are very much the same people. I think uh, we all support. Uh, you know, all appreciate their support. So uh, for every loud person who criticizes us for some of our opinions or things we do on these pods or on Twitter, uh, there's a lot of people that uh, are very, very supportive of us. Yes, you can't hurt us because we have a nice shield of, of love. The shield of love for our podcast. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll end it there. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Please plug. Whatever you like. Oh, I, you know, we, we share so many of the same listeners anyway. Hey, guys, I'm the co-host of the Timeline Podcast. Listen to us if you'd like some more Suns coverage. Uh, I guess the other thing is you can also find me writing for Bright Side of the Sun now. Yes. Uh, so yeah. look look there for analysis pieces. Those will be coming throughout the season. But that's basically it for me, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it was super fun to do the segments and also just talk preseason and, and some projections. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, as far as we go, I am MaxMCC11 on Twitter. David is at the four-point play 
on Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe. As always, it really helps. David, anything else? Uh, shout out to Max and David. We'll have a funny story on that for next <laughs> episode, Max, as far as reviews go. But we've got Portland and Denver to finish the season here. And thanks very much to Sam. I've had a shitload of fun on this one, and hopefully the listeners have fun listening to it as well. Thanks, guys. It was a fun one. Thanks, everybody.